been a good enough father. I don't want to be a good enough father. Let's go, let's go! Don't quit! Don't quit! Hey, you know what? I thought your jump rope routine was really good. I just got a notification that you moved money from our savings into your checking account. Can we talk about this later? You must be the real estate agent. Well, it's so good to meet you. Let me show you the house. This is my favorite place in this house. I call it my war room. You wrote prayers for each area of your life. Prayer strategy. I sure could use some of that. Tony, you should go see your practice tomorrow. I'm out of town this week. When were you going to tell me? I just did. Tony, that was my favorite ref. I'm real good. How you doing? I wish I lived at your house. Whenever my parents are together, they just fight. Dude, I can't get a pass from you. It'd be easier to baptize a cat. I just need you to blow off a little steam, okay? There's one thing we do well. It's fight. You do not want World War III to break out in your home. No, no, I don't. Just because you argue a lot doesn't mean that you fight well. You got to plead with God so that he can do what only he can do. Then you got to get out of the way and let him do it. You need to do your fighting in prayer. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep letting your light shine. I've never seen anybody do what you did. It's time for you to take off the gloves and Lord, we need an army of believers. Lord, call us to battle. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. Amen. There y'all are. I didn't see you for a moment. Well, uh, we've got a, uh, because such a, a great response to the tickets for the movie last uh, week, we rented another theater, so there's another 180 tickets available, probably 100, I mean, maybe 60 left or 80 left, I don't know. Uh, but go outside, get some. Uh, I think there's $6. It's uh, on the 30th, and it's a 3, 3.30 showing. There's a 3 o'clock showing and a 3.30 showing, so make sure you do that. We've got a few other announcements. Um, so Alpha, have you thought about who your Alpha 10 are, the people that you're praying for and asking God to move upon the heart and go before you and do something in the heart so that uh, we can have about 500 guests here? What would happen in our community if our neighbors got saved? Hmm. Isn't that awesome? Just imagine it. So make sure you're part of that. Then in September, starting on the 1st, we're going to do Tuesdays at Grace again. And uh, for four weeks, we're doing a series called Boxed God, Caged People. And so it's the idea that whenever we put God in a box, we find that we find ourselves in cages. And so let's, get, let's unpack God and be unleashed. What do you think? Amen. Amen. And then lastly... Uh, in September, we're also starting a fast. It's a church-wide fast, and there'll be more information to come on that. But uh, be thinking about how God wants you to participate. And, you know, we're fasting as we're thinking and approaching Alpha because we want God to do the unprecedented. Amen. Amen. 
Well, hello, my name is Norflet, and um, you know, I kind of feel funny up here because I don't have any pictures to show you guys. You know, Doug's been here for the last four weeks showing you guys pictures, so can we do a selfie together? <laughs> All right, I'm just teasing anyway. Um, you know, back when I was in high school, yeah, Roots, you guys can go. I didn't say that. But uh, back when I was in high school, a major televangelist was caught up in a scandal. And he was at the top of his deceptive game. He had cheated on his wife and was sentenced to prison for mail and wire fraud. And a few years after he was released from prison, he was asked a question by John Bevere. John Bevere. He said, when did you stop loving God? Assuming the reason he did what he had done was an issue of love. Yet the evangelist looked at Bevere and said, I never stopped loving God. I stopped fearing him. Scripture teaches us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One insight. You know, last week was a defining moment in the life of our church. Doug challenged us to rid ourselves of our religious spirit that, was, that has plagued this church for generations. He said it was the glass ceiling that was keeping us from experiencing the movement of God. And God wants us to experience his movement by his spirit in such profound ways that all we can say is God did it. When we are known not just for our good work, but we are known by our good God. When the community says, yeah, that's, that's that church that Jesus is big at. Or, you know, the spirit of God is at work there. It's the moment that the staff got together one day and, and they began to pray about what God wanted to do in this place. And, and one of the things that they said is that, you know, this is a place where people are lining up outside the door. Can't wait to get in to see what God is doing in the lives of the people in this church. It's the moment that the Spirit is released from this place, and it takes a ride down Maross into the points, or north into Detroit. When the Spirit moves down 94 and hangs out on the shores, or goes a little west and goes deeper in the city, and people begin to ask, how can I get what they've got? God wants you to get something so they can ask. How can I get what they got? And by God's grace, it will happen. It will happen not as a result of our best efforts, but it will be a product of our co-laboring with Christ, both to will and to do his good pleasure. But in order for this to fully happen, we must continually deal with and rid ourselves of our critical, judgmental, divisive, argumentative, self-righteous, and insecure disposition that has crept into our church and creeps into our heart. May God cleanse us. May he cleanse us from our works mentality and our false holiness. See, Pastor Doug knows that the hand of God is upon this place. And that there have been moments we have received a sprinkling of God's Spirit. But God 
desire and Doug's desire is for the faucet to be turned on all the way. When the faucet is turned at full pressure, this community will never be the same. It'll never be the same when we give way to the movement of the Holy Spirit in and through us. When the fruit of the Spirit is evident, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when the gifts of the Spirit are activated and the body is edified, each part working properly. So let us exchange the false for the real and do away with our religiosity. You see, the religious spirit is primarily devoted to how we view others and how we present and view ourselves. However, the religious spirit isn't the only condition God wants us to deal with. You know, when Doug asked me, can you preach this today? And I said, sure. And I just, I I knew exactly what I was going to preach, y'all. I I had it all planned out. I knew what I was going to preach. I'm telling y'all, I knew what I was going to preach. I knew what I was going to preach. But the more I began to study what I was going to preach, the more God shifted me and said, no, there's something else I want to deal with. He also wants us to deal with an irreverent heart. You see, it was an irreverent heart that caused Jim Baker to lose his fear of God. Irreverent is defined as showing a lack of awe and wonder and respect for a person or something that is generally taken seriously. You see, the religious spirit is an issue of us not having a revelation of the love of God. But the irreverent heart is us not walking in the revelation of the holiness of God that creates in us a sense of fear, awe, and wonder. You see, in the church, some of us have suffered from disconnecting one attribute of God from from another as if God is not love and holy at the same time. We see this in how the pendulum swings. We see at least two, uh, uh, two extremes. It's the love camp and it's the holiness camp. You know the love camp. It's the one that says God is love, love, love. He's love. But love without holiness leads to compromise. And then there's that holiness camp where we've reduced holiness as a list of do's and don'ts instead of a heart that is on fire and set ablaze by the Spirit in pursuit of the person of Jesus Christ. You see, holiness without without love leads to religious rigidness. And this compromise and rigidity creates arguments in our church. When the person who has a high regard of holiness, they tend to measure people up by their own interpretation of God's standards. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And the person who has a high regard for love doesn't always remember that the Lord is holy. See, this is how we can be in the right place at the right time, hearing the right words and get the wrong message. 
Because we tend to see things from the, the, the viewpoint or the vantage point of a religious spirit or an irreverent heart. But God is holy and God is love. I want you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter number 6, 1 through 7. It reads, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you again. I thank you that we stand upon holy ground. I thank you that this is a holy moment. And a holy God is here. Father, I pray that you would set our hearts ablaze. That the zeal of the Lord would consume us. I pray for a movement of your spirit in deep, hidden, dark places in our heart. God, that you would heal our irreverence. God, I pray that you prepared a heart for a message and a message for a heart. And God, that you would do only what you can do. That you would give sight to the blind. You cause the deaf to hear, the mute to sing, the lame to dance. God, that you would raise the dead. God, we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Leonard Ravenhill, famous revivalist and student of revival, and preacher, as he approached this verse and this scripture, one of the things that he says, he says that the greatest need of mankind is he needs a vision. He needs what Isaiah experienced. He needs an upward vision, a vision of God. He needs an inward vision, a vision of himself, and an outward vision, a vision of the world. A vision of the divine, a division of the depraved, a division, a vision of the duty to the lost and dying world. Since why we're doing Alpha, because we have a vision of the world 
who needs a savior. And we don't want them to spend eternity without God. So we must go to them. We must reach out to them. We must love them to be willing to share the gospel. Isaiah saw the Lord where he is, high and lifted up. Isaiah saw a vision of who he is, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah saw himself and where he was, he was lost. And Isaiah saw who he was, he was unclean. Now notice this vision of God. The angels did not cry, love, love, love. They didn't sing power, power, power. But the angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They sang of his sacredness. They said, you are set apart. You are sacred. You are sacred. You are sacred. Lord, you are distinct. You are different. You are unique. They sang, holy, holy, holy. Lord, you are other. You are other. You are other. The book of Revelations says the angels have been singing this song day and night and night and day. They've been crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Can you imagine that? That night and day they declared his holiness. As if to say that they would stand from this spot and they would look at God and say, oh, my God, he's holy. And they would come and they would notice that something else about God and say, oh, my goodness, he's holy. Then they would come from another vantage point and say, my goodness, he's holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is none like him nowhere. He sits alone in holiness and in beauty. And every time I get a glimpse of him, I see something different. He's holy. Every time I get a glimpse of him, I see something different. He's other. I've never seen anything like this. He's holy. Holy, he's holy. We serve a God who is like no other, and he is worth honor, glory, and praise. You see, when we see him as he is, this double knowledge shows up. We see his divinity and we see our depravity. And we know that we are wretched and broken and in need of a savior. You see, when the irreverent heart doesn't see God's holiness, it's willing to compromise. Compromise means to break promise with. If I compromise in my marriage, I break my promise with my wife. If I break, if I compromise in my walk with Jesus, I break my promise with Jesus. God, let there not be compromise in us. There are moments that we lose our reverential respect 
awe and fear and wonder of God. The proverb writer says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He again says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Can you imagine that? He says, you want to get some knowledge? The beginning of it is fear God. He says, listen, you want to be wise? The beginning of wisdom is fear God. And knowing the Holy One, not the loving one, knowing the Holy One gives you insight. You know, part of my story is a story of God redeeming me from an irreverent heart when I forgot the holiness of God. And the fire in me was quenched by my earthly passions. I was a believer, not living a life worthy of the calling. When I was in college, I met this beautiful thing. You can wave your hand. What's up? All right. And she was a Christian girl, too. And we started dating, but we never set boundaries of our relationship. And I found myself in her dorm room at, you know, in, in the wee hours. You either call it late or early, depending on how you look at it, right? And uh, I'd be in a room, and we'd be listening to Brian McKnight and Anita Baker. How many of you know I was not setting myself up for success? And I compromised my convictions. All the while, I was still lifting my hands in worship, leading and singing. I had sin in my life. It was so bad that Sinead's roommate, um, and this shakes me up every time I think about it, she used to call us Joseph and Mary making baby Jesus. And I think about the reproach we were to the name of Jesus. And you know, when you do grown-up things, grown-up things happen. And so Sinead became a little bit pregnant. Right? You ever heard I'm a little bit pregnant. Um, how are you a little bit pregnant? Either you're pregnant or you're not. And you know, somewhere in her pregnancy, we became broken over our sin. And we repented to the Lord. And from that time, we committed to living lives that were worthy of the calling. And we wanted to represent God right. And so we were sexually pure until we got married eight months after Nia was born. You see, my irreverent heart caused compromise in the way I lived my life. When I didn't see the holiness of God. And it's, you know, crazy because people would say, you know what, family and friends, it's not that big a deal. You're a good kid. Right? I mean, I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I went out partying. You're a good kid. It's okay. But I offended a holy God. He is completely other. He's other. In fact, our imaginations can't even think or fathom how holy he is. Listen, I know, and I'm not telling you that you have to figure out how you can measure up. I know I can never measure up. But I also know that God's desire is that we are broken over our sin. David, when he writes Psalms 51, he says, God, if you wanted lambs and bullocks, 
I would give them. But what you desire is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. What you desire is someone who's broken over the sin in their life. David says, against you only have I sinned because he realized he offended a holy God. God is holy. In Isaiah's story, we get a glimpse of his holiness. We get a true knowledge of who God is as holy and holy, and we get a true knowledge of our condition. We are broken in need of a Savior. The angels in these verses declare the utter the utter otherness of God. The angels who have been flying around the throne of God have been singing for how long? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is completely other. There's no category that fits him. He, 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 uh, he, he is completely distinct. None fit at his side as an equal. And our irreverent hearts forget the otherness of God. Because Isaiah saw God, he rightly saw the poverty of his heart. We know the poverty of his heart because the poverty of his lips. Did not Jesus say that out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaks? And so Isaiah began to declare how unclean his lips were. It was signified how unclean his heart was. In fact, when you do a deeper study, you find that Isaiah and Uzziah were pretty good friends. And Uzziah was a pretty darn good king. In fact, the stuff that Uzziah touched turned to gold. He was like, had the Midas touch. The kingdom and the nation was prospering. Until the scripture says, and then Uzziah got strong. And God was like, peace. You know, when we get strong, God is like, peace. When we get prideful and think it's about us, God is like, peace. He resists the problem but gives more grace to the humble. But in that case, Isaiah is, was thinking, well, you know, the prosperity of our nation was Josiah dependent. You know how we get. Sometimes we put our hopes in people that can't handle our hopes. And so there was a moment in Isaiah's heart that, whoa, he's dead. And God says, no, no, no. When what you depend on dies, then you'll finally see me. The question we ask, do we respond to God from rules or do we respond to God based on a relationship based on a revelation, based on the Spirit of God setting our hearts ablaze in pursuit of the person of Jesus, that we stand and we keep this sense of awe and wonder and reverential fear. There's another story I want to share with you. It's 1 Samuel chapter number 2, verse 30. You can turn there.
Verse 30 says, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father would go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now, I'm going to give you the cliff notes of the story. God was uh, speaking to Eli, the prophet and the judge. And a few verses prior, God said that Eli's sons were wicked and worthless. My God, would you, can you imagine God calling you wicked and worthless? And he called them wicked and worthless because they profaned the offering of the Lord. The custom of the day was, is that uh, when people would bring their sacrifices, they would throw it in water and it would boil until the fat came off of it. And then the priest would take a three-pronged fork and they would stick it in the water and whatever came out was the offering the priest would eat from. But Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, not Phinehas and Ferb, were... Hophni and Phinehas says, oh, we don't want it like that. What we want to do, listen, is we want the raw meat. We want unboiled meat. In fact, what they said is, listen, if you don't give it to us, we'll take it from you. Not only that, these men were sleeping with the women in the temple of God. They were wicked. See, what we learn is that if we read Leviticus, Leviticus says that the fat belongs to the Lord. Somebody said, take it, Lord, take it. <laughs> In other words, the best portion belongs to the Lord. But Eli's son says, no, the best portions belong to me. And they profane the offering of the Lord. And God says to Eli, because you honored your sons above me, know this, honor God, honor me, and I will honor you. But despise me and you will be lightly esteemed. Caleb, can you come up here real quick? Caleb, come on, real quick, real quick. Come on, athlete, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. We waiting, we waiting. Five, four, three. This is my son. Hey, hey, bro. So the, the Hebrew word for honor is kabod. It means weightiness or heavy. It takes the picture of, Caleb, why don't you just lean on me? You want me to lean on you? You don't trust me. <laughs> Who raising these kids? <laughs> and so when we lean on the Lord, when we honor him, we lean our weight on him. Our life is completely dependent on him. He is our foundation. He holds us up. And listen, he can handle our weight. Thank you, Caleb. So when we honor God, we, we lean our weight on him. But listen, here's the beauty. That when we honor him, he leans his weight on us. All of his glory, all of his honor, all of his blessing, all of his favor. All the richness that's in Christ. And the cool thing is, we get the better end of the deal. But God just simply says, honor me, and I'll honor you. 
But if you despise me, if you irreverent me, then you'll be lightly esteemed. You won't get my weight. You won't get my value. Lean your weight on God and he will lean his weight on you. See, many of us have been praying that God would show us his glory. We are longing for a concentration of his presence in this place. Although we know that God is everywhere at the same time, we want a greater awareness of his presence here. We want to know his glory like Moses. But listen, there is no glory without honor. And there is no honor without reverence. And there is no reverence without a revelation of the awe-inspiring God. You know how we honor God? We honor God by honoring his word. We honor his word by letting his word weigh in on our decisions and how we do life. So we approach a situation and we say, hey, what do we do? Well, what does the word say? Let the word weigh in. We say, God, I don't know what to do with my kids. What does the word say? Let the word weigh in. God, I don't know what to do with my marriage. What does the word say? Let the word weigh in. God, what do we do in this culture? In this culture, what does the word say? Let the word weigh in. That's how we honor God. We honor him by honoring his word. Jesus made a startling statement to the religious people of his day. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people, this people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Another way, it is they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are at a distance. I get it. I get it. I get that God is completely different. He is other. He is holy. And sometimes when we see difference, we create distance. And so, yes, rightly so do we say there is a distance between his essence and our essence or between him being holy, holy, holy and his call to us to be holy. Yes, there is a distance. There is a distance in our attributes and his attributes. But God never desired for there to be distance in relationship. He's always longed to be near you. But the Bible says our sin has separated us from a holy God. So a few moments, we're going to take communion. And communion is a clash, it's a collision of the holy God and the loving God. When we begin to experience the reality of the gospel. See, the gospel in action is a holy God separated from a sinful people. And his holiness demands judgment.
the wages of sin is death. His holiness demands judgment. And we deserve to die because we've offended a holy God. But I'm so glad he loved me. Because mercy triumphed over judgment. I'm so glad that he loved me that yet while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. When I was at my worst, he was at his best. Redeeming me from my brokenness, redeeming me from my irreverent heart, redeeming me. When I thought that he would be winking at my sin. Listen, God is immutable. He does not change. And so sometimes we forget and we think that God was only holy in the Old Testament. But no, God is holy now. He is holy now. And the only reason why we can stand here and worship is because he paid the penalty himself. He said, I can't stand being at distance with you. I want to relate to you. I want to be close to you. So I'm going to send myself. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among them. And we, do, we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten, the unique son. And he went and he stood on the cross. And he took your beating. And he took my lashing. And he gave up the ghost so that you could be brought near. So that you can experience the reality of the king and his kingdom. So ushers, would you come? We're going to take communion. And as you take communion, I want you to consider the holiness of God. And I want you to wrestle what may be going on in your heart. Because yes, God is love. But there's no attribute that was ever saying in repeat style, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I want you to hold the elements and they'll come back and we'll talk about it.